0: Uh, welcome back to my podcast Wikipedia um, It's a film review Podcast where I Review the Wikipedia summaries of Different horror movies and see whether Or not I get spooked um, Today This episode is a very special One because I have been Commissioned by a Demon uh, And if I don't do this then he won't let me out of hell so uh our first movie today is going to be the Blair Witch Project um the Blair Witch Project that's going to be at wikipedia.org slash wiki slash the underscore Blair underscore witch underscore project um it's not to be confused with Bell Witch the movie uh we don't have an episode on that one planned because uh, I've never heard of it um I guess I'm just gonna get started. Normally this is where I would banter with a co-host or something like that, but I don't have one here unless you count the little egg statue on my desk. Hi, Egg, how are you? I'm doing great, yeah, it's kinda what I figured. Um okay. The Blair Witch Project is a nineteen ninety-nine American supernatural horror film, written, directed, and edited by Daniel Merrick and Eduardo Sanchez. It tells the fictional story of three student filmmakers, Heather Donahue, Michael C. Williams, and Joshua Leonard, who hike in the Black Hills near Burkittsville, Maryland in 1994 to film a documentary about a local legend known as the Blair Witch. The three disappeared, but their equipment and footage is discovered a year later. Uh, They purportedly recovered footage, quote-unquote, is the film that the viewer sees. Uh so this one is a found footage film it kind of started the genre um yeah looking at the wikipedia page uh the, my first review is usually of how well it's structured uh the structure of this page is pretty good uh they've got a good uh plot section which we'll be getting into in a second here but they also have good sections on production uh broken down into uh, broken down into development and pre-production and filming and post-production Uh, But then they also got a cool segment about the marketing of the film and the fictional legend that came out of it. A lot of people think that the Blair Witch actually exists now, which is not true, unless it is. (sighs) Um, So anyways, they got a thing about the release and the reception and the legacy. Um, It's a good Wikipedia page, you should check it out. Um, But for now, we're going to get into my favorite part of the show, which is where I tell you about the plot of the movie and review it along the way. So, in October of 1994, film students Heather, Mike, and Josh set out to produce a documentary about the fabled Blair Witch Project. i uh, sorry, it's just the fabled Blair Witch. I, I got ahead of myself and started reading into where it wasn't. That's gonna be a wick-eek-oops on my end. Uh, they travel to Burkittsville, Maryland and interview residents about the legend. Okay, now it's a legend. Uh, locals tell them of Rustin Parr. That's not a good name. Uh, but he's a hermit who lived in the woods and kidnapped eight children in the 1940s. That's a lot of kids. Uh, kidnapping people is wrong and you shouldn't do it. Folks, don't kidnap people and make them do things against their will. Anyways, he kidnapped eight children in the 1940s, uh, killing seven of them supposedly on the orders of the witch. Uh, please don't kill me. After spending the night in a hotel, the students explore the woods in North Burkittsville to research the legend. Along the way, they meet two fishermen, one of whom warns them that the woods are haunted. He also tells them of a young girl named Robin Robin Weaver, who went missing in 1888. When she returned three days later, she talked about an old woman whose feet never touched the ground. Uh, (laughs) Probably because the woods are dirty, right? (laughs) Got him. Uh, his companion however is skeptical of the story Uh, the students hike to coffin rock where the five men are found ritualistically murdered in the 19th century their bodies later disappeared and the group camps for the night a bunch of dummies they move deeper into the woods the next day and locate what appears to be an old cemetery with seven small cairns and set up camp nearby uh cairns is a good word wikipedia i'm glad that you include a link that goes to the page to tell you that a cairn is a man-made pile of stones that comes from scottish gaelic um that's a good a good inclusion a good vocabulary usage that night they hear the sound of twigs snapping from all directions but assume the noises are from animals or locals that's a rookie mistake the following day, they try to hike back to the car, but are unable to find it before dark and make camp. They again hear twigs snapping at night, but fail to find the source of the noises. That's pretty spooky. In the morning, they find that the three cairns have been built around their tent during the night, which unnerves them. As they continue, Heather learns her map is missing. Uh, Mike later reveals he kicked it into a creek the previous day out of frustration, which prompts Heather and Josh to attack him in a rage. I would be pretty mad too if I was lost in a woods and learned that my friend had kicked a map into a creek, dummy. They realize that they're now lost. You should have realized that a couple days ago, uh, but they decide to simply head south using Mike's compass to guide them. They eventually reach a section where they discover a multitude of figure. Uh, they eventually reach a section where they discover a multitude of humanoid stick figures suspended from trees. They again hear sounds that night, including those of children laughing, among other strange noises. That's really spooky. After an unknown force shakes the tent, they flee in panic and hide in the woods until dawn. Okay, that's really spooky. I wouldn't want to be involved in this. I'm glad I'm not seeing this play on a screen. I'm glad I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page. That's my catchphrase. Uh, upon returning to their tent, they find that their possessions have been rifled through, and Josh's equipment is covered with slime. As they continue, they come across a log on a river identical to the one they crossed earlier. They realize they've walked in a circle, despite thinking they traveled south all day, and once again make camp. I guess his... uh, his, uh I, guess, I guess his compass isn't working right. That's no good. Uh, Josh suffers a breakdown while holding the camera, taunting Heather for their circumstances and her constant recording of the events. Uh, but he's the one recording the events. So... And if you didn't record the events, then you wouldn't have made the multi-million dollar blockbuster bestseller The Blair Witch Project. So, it's going to work out. Uh, Josh disappears the next morning, and Heather and Mike try in vain to find him before slowly proceeding. That night, they hear Josh's agonized screams in the darkness, but are unable to locate him. That's spooky. Mike and Heather theorize that Josh is... <laughs> I fucking hate this voice. <laughs> Mike and Heather theorize that Josh's screams are a fabrication by the witch to draw him out of their tent. Oh, so it's oh maybe it is hmm. I wonder if this is real or if this is the work of the Blair witch that that uh, that's creepy. I don't know how this is going. That's real spooky The next day outside her tent, Heather descri- the next day outside her tent, Heather discovers a bundle of sticks tied with a piece of fabric from Josh's shirt. As she searches through it, she finds blood-soaked rags. She finds, hmm, I can't read this section. This is a poorly written part of the page. As she searches through it, she finds blood-soaked scraps of Josh's shirt, as well as teeth, hair, and what appears to be a piece of his tongue. Ew, that's that's spooky. Although distraught by the discovery, she chooses not to tell Mike. That night, Heather records herself apologizing to her family and to Mike and Josh's families, taking full responsibility for their predicament. I don't really think this is your fault, Heather. Because this is all of your fault. You guys all decided to go out and do it. And then the guys got in over their heads. I think you're just apologizing because you feel like you have to. I don't think you should do that. Patriarchy is the real spooky part, and that's true of every horror movie. They again hear Josh's agonized cries for help and follow them to a derelict, abandoned house containing demonic symbols and children's bloody handprints on the walls. That's spooky. Mike races upstairs to find Josh while Heather follows. Mike says he hears Josh in the basement. He runs downstairs while a hysterical Heather struggles to keep up. Upon reaching the basement, an unforeseen force attacks Mike, causing him to drop the camera and go silent. Heather enters the basement screaming, and her Camera captures Mike facing a corner. Something unseen attacks Heather, causing her to drop her camera and go silent as well, and the footage ends. So that was the Wikipedia plot summary of the Blair Witch Project. Um, All in all, it seems pretty extensive, and it seems like they got a lot recorded in there. I think that's good. Um, So I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10. Um, It seems very well written and put together, and even though I stumbled over a couple sentences... That's not really their fault, you know Wikipedia pages aren't really meant to be read out loud; they're meant to be read and spooked upon in your head um Ultimately, I think I want to give the Blair Witch Projects Wikipedia page a ten out of ten. It's very well put together and it's got a lot of stuff going on and it's uh they did a good job of filling in each individual section. they got some good pictures uh you've got some good. Uh, there's a wanted poster for the kids, too, that came out to advertise the movie. And there's even a pull quote from a Roger Ebert. It's a good Wikipedia page. You can't really go wrong. Um, okay, I'm getting text messages that say that I need to do other movies, too. So next up is going to be uh, The Blob. Uh, this is the article about the 1958 film. Uh, we could talk about the remake, but I don't need to talk about a remake of a Wikipedia page. I want to talk about the original. The Blob is an independently made 1958 American science horror. The Blob is an independently made 1958 American science fiction horror film in widescreen color by Deluxe, produced by Jack H. Harris directed by Irvin Yeworth, and written by Kay Linketer and Theodore Simonson. Okay, I've come to my first critique of this page, which is that that's a big old run-on sentence. You could have done that a lot better, people that made this Wikipedia page. I'm a little disappointed in you. Anyways, uh, so far, they've got the normal things you'd expect from a a horror movie uh, Wikipedia page, They've got a lot of good sections about the legacy and influence Uh, there's a small thing about sequels and remakes Uh, there's also a section about the cast and it's listed as a big old um a big old list it looks like there's only four actors on here that have a wikipedia page which means that the rest of them we don't care about um i guess it's time to get to the plot uh, let's talk about the plot of this, this, this American classic. In a small rural Pennsylvania town in July 1957, teenager Steve Andrews, that's Steve McQueen, and his girlfriend Jane Martin, that's Anita Corsot, are kissing at a lover's lane. Uh-oh. When they see a meteorite crash beyond the next hill, Steve decides to look for it. An old man... Hmm... Before Steve decides to look for it, I put a semicolon in, and that's kinda just grammatical masturbation at this point. You don't need a semicolon there. Anyways, I digress. The real horror here is semicolon usage. Anyways, an old man living nearby finds it first. When he pokes the meteorite with a stick, it breaks open, and a small jelly-like globule inside attaches itself to his hand. In pain and unable to scrape or shake it loose, the old man runs into the road where he's struck by Steve's car. Uh, near, he's nearly struck by Steve's car. <laughs> he dodged it. I'm sorry I misspoke there. Uh, Steve and Jane take him to Dr. Holland. By the way, if you wanted to follow along with this with me, you can find this article at wikipedia.org wiki slash the underscore blob. Anyways... Doctor Hallen anesthetizes the man and sends Steve and Jane back to, loco- back to locate the impact site and gather information. Hallen decides he must amputate the man's arm since it's being consumed. Before he can, the blob completely consumes the old man, then Hallen's nurse, and finally the doctor himself. All the while, continuing to grow. Steve and Jane return in time for Steve to witness the doctor trying to get out the window with the creature on his head. That's spooky. They leave and go to the police station and return to Lieutenant Dave and Sergeant Bert. There's no sign, however, of the blob or its victims, and Bert dismisses Steve's story as a teenage prank. Steve and Jane are taken home by their parents, and they later sneak out. In the meantime, the creature consumes a mechanic at a repair shop and grows in size every time it consumes something. That's spooky. At the Colonial Theater, which is showing a midnight screaming of Daughter of Horror Ho, I think I said a midnight screaming, but I meant to say a midnight screening. Um, I accidentally made a very good play on words there, so I, I hope you forgive me for that, listener. Hey, hey, Andrew, Andrew. I know. Can you speed this up? Can you speed this up, okay? I need you to speed it up. Okay. Thank you. God damn it. In the meantime, the creature consumes a mechanic at a repair shop and grows in size each time it consumes something. That's spooky. At the Colonial Theater, which is showing a midnight screaming of Daughter of Horror, Steve... Oh, oh, I think I... Hold on. I just said a midnight screaming, but what I meant to say was a midnight screening. I I didn't mean to, but I did just make a very funny play on words there. I, I... Sorry for the mistake, listeners. Steve recruits Tony and some of his friends to warn people about the blob. When Steve notices that his father's grocery store is unlocked, he and Jane go inside. The janitor is nowhere to be seen. Then the couple are cornered by the creature. They seek refuge in the walk-in freezer. The blob oozes in under the door, but quickly retreats. Steve and Jane gather their friends and set off the town's fair and air raid sirens. The townspeople and police still refuse to believe Steve. Meanwhile, the creature enters the colonial theater and engulfs and devours the projectionist before oozing into the auditorium. Steve is finally vindicated when people's... Steve is finally vindicated when people leave. Steve is finally vindicated when screaming people leave the theater in blind panic. I would too, listeners. I'd be very spooked. Uh, Jane, Danny, and Steve become trapped in a diner, along with the manager and a waitress. The blob, now enormous and blood red from people it's consumed, has engulfed the building. That's spooky. Dave has a connection made from his police radio to a diner's telephone telling those in the diner to get into the cellar before they bring down a live power line onto the diner. When the live wire lands, it discharges a massive electrical current into the blob, but it's unaffected, and the diner is set ablaze. When the diner manager uses a carbon dioxide extinguisher on the fire, Steve notices that this causes the creature to recoil. Steve remembers that it also retreated from the freezer, saying, that's why it didn't come into the ice box after us. It can't stand cold. That's very smart, Steve. Good work. Shouting in hopes of being picked up on the open phone line, Steve tells Dave about the Bob's vulnerability to Colt. Jane's father, Mr. Martin, leads Steve's friends to the high school to retrieve the 20 fire extinguishers there. Returning, the brigade of fire extinguisher-armed students and police first first drive the creature away from the diner, then freeze it, saving Steve, Jane, and the others. Good work, everyone. Dave requests the authorities send an Air Force heavy-lift cargo airplane to transport the Bob to the Arctic, where it's later parachuted down the ice and snowy pack. Dave says that while the creature's not dead, at least it's been stopped. To this, Steve Andrews replies, Yeah, as long as the Arctic stays cold. I think that Steve meant that as a joke, um, but it's a lot less funny in 2019 than it was in 1958. Uh, The film ends with the words, the end, and then that morphs into a question mark, which is very spooky, because it seems like the producers predicted global warming. That might be the spookiest thing of this whole movie. Anyways, um, I think that my favorite part of this Wikipedia page is in the cast list, there's a woman named Pamela Curran, and she is credited as Smooching Teenager which is a very funny way to be credited for a movie. But that's the Wikipedia page for The Blob. Um, I liked this plot summary a lot less than I liked the one for Blair Witch Project. I just didn't think it was as well put together. And the page as a whole has a lot less going on, but it's still a pretty good page. I think that overall I'm going to give this one... um, I think I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. I think that sounds like a good one for me. Okay. Um the next one that I have to talk about is hold on. Okay, uh it looks like the next one I have to do is a South Korean horror film. Um yeah, I don't I guess this one also starts with a B. I don't I guess Bailey really likes movies that start with B, so that's all he's gonna let me cover on this show. So uh Yeah, let's get into Bunshin Saba, I guess. Uh, Bunshin Saba is a 2004 South Korean horror film directed by Ahn Byung-ki. In 2004, it screened at the 8th Annual Pushon International Fantastic Film Festival and had its American premiere at the 2005 New York Korean Film Festival. It was also shown later that year at the 5th Annual Screamfest Horror Film Festival. Okay. So, um this one has a pretty short wikipedia page there's not much going on for it um there's a section for the cast and released and then there's a see also link which is just a list of ghost films i don't necessarily know why that's relevant it seems like it's pretty obvious this is a ghost film or at least it's something spooky um so yeah the the wikipedia page doesn't have a whole lot going on for it um but let's go ahead and start talking about the plot Lee Eugen is a tran- <clears throat> Lee Yujin is a transfer student from Seoul, and along with two of her friends, she's constantly being bullied by a group of classmates. Bullying's a real spooky. Bullying's the spookiest thing you can do to a kid. Cut both of those. Uh, one night, Yujin and her friends dis- <clears throat> one night, Eugen and her friends decide to place a curse on their enemies by creating a Ouija board on which they write the names of the female bullies. Using the Bunshin Saba curse, her friend warns the others not to open their eyes until a spell is finished. The calling takes effect, and Jin, somewhat curious, opens her eyes. Uh, Oh, that's not what you should have done. She told you not to. It's probably going to be spooky. To her shock and horror, she sees an image of a pale-like dead girl with long hair beside her. Yep, it sure is spooky. The next morning, when Yoo Jin enters the classroom, she discovers the corpse of one of the bullies on top of the desk with a burned face. Meanwhile, the school vo- uh, hires a volunteer teacher, Lee Yun joo as the new art instructor. She starts to call a roll in the class and stumbles on seat number 29 as she mentions the name of the deceased girl, Kim In-suk. Uh, the students are terrified when they hear the name and rush out of the classroom when they see her talking to thin air. The only one left is Yu Jin. Who tells Inju that Kim Unsuk doesn't exist. Inju takes another look at the seat and realizes there is no name at seat number 29. That's real spooky. Suddenly, Eugene sees a figure on Inju's back. Uh, investigations soon rise and the other three bullies die in the same manner. Finally, Yu-Jin realizes that the spirit of Kim Unsuk is possessing her. She was the one who killed all those bullies, even though she doesn't remember doing it. That's real spooky. Yinju also senses a terrible force and unearthly presence surrounding Yujin. Mr. Han, Yujin's class advisor, decides to help out by consulting his friend uh, on what is causing her to act strangely. Through hypnotism, they're able to see a vision of the past showing how Kim and Suk and her mother Chun-Hee were brutally killed by villagers, and before dying, they placed a curse that for generations to come, whoever left the village would die. As Shin-hee finally takes possession of Inju's body, she exacts punishment of the people who wronged them, slaying the school's principal but sparing Mr. Han's life. Not long after, Yu-jin gives birth to a girl, and within that girl's body is the spirit of Kim eun That's creepy. I don't really like movies about teenagers dying. That's a real spooky one. I didn't like that one. Uh this is a pretty bare bones page. It's um I'm probably gonna give it like a like a five, maybe even a four. I just hope the spooky spirit doesn't come get me for the low rating. <laughs> I got enough demons in my life right now. Anyway, if you wanna check that one out, it's wikipedia.org slash wiki slash saba It's spelled just how it sounds. Um the next movie that the ghost wants me to cover is going to be Body Bags. I don't know this one. Um, you can find it if you go to the Wikipedia page. That's wikipedia.org slash wiki slash Bags film. Uh, okay. Um, first off, looking at the Wikipedia page, it looks pretty bare bones. There's a bit about the critical reception and the background. And the cast uh the cast is really cool because it's split into two separate um into two different columns that's a bit of technology you don't see too often in um wikipedia pages so i really like it when people push the art form and try and grow um it looks like the cast for this one's pretty cool uh this one features john carpenter tom arnold Robert Carradine, Sam Raimi, Wes Craven, uh, Peter Jackson, Mark Hamill, and a bunch of other people. Um, It's got a pretty good cast. Anyways, um, it looks like this movie uh, is a 1993 American horror comedy anthology television film originally made for television, featuring three unconnected stories with bookend segments featuring John Carpenter and Toby Hooper as deranged morgue attendees. spooky it was directed by carpenter hooper and larry Sulkis. it first aired on uh it first aired on 8 august 1993 i guess we're going with the british way of writing out uh dates and that one's interesting because it's one day after my birthday um i hope i get another one of those i don't know if the red star has dates Anyways, uh, the plot in the prologue, uh, you see a creepy-looking coroner introducing three different horror tales involving his current work on cadavers in body bags. They have body bags in quotes. I guess that each bag is a different movie, but this Wikipedia summary doesn't make that very obvious. Anyways, the first one of these is The Gas Station. Anne is a young college student who arrives for her first job working a night shift at an all-night filling station near Haddonfield, Illinois, which is a reference to the setting of Carpenter's two Halloween films. The leaving worker, Bill, reminds her that a serial killer has broken out of a mental hospital and cautions her not to leave the booth at the station without the keys because the doors lock automatically. I'm pretty new to Wikipedia articles about horror movies, but I got a hunch about what's going to happen. Anyways, after Bill leaves, Anne is alone and the tension mounts as she deals with various late night customers seeking to buy gas for a quick fill-up, purchase cigarettes, or just use the restroom key. And she's unsure as to ed- what? she's unsure whether any of them might be the escaped maniac. One of the neat things about this Wikipedia article is that they highlight the word tension, which gives me the pop-up that tells me that in phonology, tenseness or tensing is most broadly the pronunciation of a sound with greater muscular effort or constriction. That's typical. I don't think that that's the definition that they were going for in the sentence, but I applaud Wikipedia for trying. Anyways, uh, at one point, a homeless transient asks to use the restroom, and when the partying couple arrives, she asks the man to check on the bum. He says he's sleeping. She goes inside the man's restroom only to find an elaborately grotesque drawing of an evil looking entity carrying beheaded people into the restroom, and then a dead body of the man sitting in a pickup truck on the lift of one of the garage bays. That's spooky, but I don't know what that sentence just said. I'm going to try and read it again and see if it helps. She goes inside the men's restroom only to find an elaborately grotesque drawing of an evil looking entity carrying beheaded people in the restroom. And then the dead body of the man sitting in a pickup truck on the lift in one of the garage bays. The only thing spookier than what's going on in this sentence is the way that it's written <laughs> She makes a phone call for help, which is a <clears throat> she makes a phone call for help, which results in her realization that Bill, the attending worker she met earlier, is in fact the escaped killer, who's killed the real Bill and is killing numerous passers-by she finds the real bill's dead body in one of the lockers serial killer bill then reappears and attempts to kill ann with a machete breaking into the locked booth by smashing out the glass with a sledgehammer and then chasing her around the deserted garage but just as he's about to kill her a customer returns having forgotten his credit card and he wrestles the killer giving ann time to crush him under the vehicle lift Ooh, that's spooky Anyways, um, that one was okay. The next segment is called Hair. Uh, hair is about Richard Coberts, is a middle-aged businessman who's very self-conscious about his thinning hair. Aren't we all, Richard? This obsession has caused a rift between him and his long-suffering girlfriend Megan. Richard enters a television ad about a miracle hair transplant procedure and pays a visit to the office and meets a shady doctor, Luck, who agrees to give Richard the solution to make his hair grow back. Listeners, I have to say, I'm not impressed with this Wikipedia article so far. There are a lot of run-on sentences that don't need to be. But anyways, I digress. The next day, Richard wakes up and removes the bandage around his head and is overjoyed to find that he has a full head of hair. But he soon becomes increasingly sick and fatigued and finds his hair continuing to grow and additionally growing out of parts of his body where hair doesn't normally grow. I'm not sure where those are, but I... Not sure I want to know. Trying to cut a hair off of his mouth, oh, never mind, that's spooky. Uh, He finds that it screams and examines it under a magnifying glass. He sees it's alive and resembles a tiny serpent. He goes back to Dr. Locke for an explanation, but finds himself a prisoner, as Dr. Locke explains that he and his entire staff are aliens from another planet, seeking out narcissistic human beings and planting seeds of hair to take over their bodies for consumption as part of their plan to spend their essence to Earth. Okay. I don't think that segment's as spooky as the way that it's written, because the true spookiness is in grammatical errors. Anyway, the third one is called Eye. Brent Matthews is a baseball player whose life and career take a turn for the worse when he gets into a serious car accident in which his right eye is gouged out. Ooh, I don't like that at all. Unwilling to admit that his career is over, he jumps at the chance to undergo an experimental surgical procedure to replace his eye with one from a recently deceased person. But soon after the surgery, he begins to see things out of the new eye that others cannot see and begins having nightmares of killing women and having sex with them. That's spooky. Brent eventually seeks out the doctor who operated on him, and the doctor tells him that the donor of his new eye was a recently executed serial killer and necrophile who killed several young women and then had sex with their dead bodies. This is a real spooky one. I don't like this at all. Brent becomes convinced that the spirit of the dead killer is taking over his body so that he can resume killing women. He flees back to his house and tells his skeptical wife, Kathy, about what's happening. Just then, the spirit of the killer emerges and attempts to kill Kathy as well. Kathy fights back, subduing him long enough for Brent to re-emerge. Realizing it's only a matter of time before the killer emerges again, Brent stabs his donated eye with garden scissors, severing his link with the killer, but then bleeds to death. That's pretty spooky. One might argue it might be spookier if this guy was just using the fact that he got a serial killer eye is an excuse to kill people but we can't be that clever anyways in the epilogue the coroner's finishing telling his last tale when he hears a noise from outside the morgue he crawls back inside a body bag revealing that he himself is a living cadaver and two other morgue workers begin to work on this john doe corpse that's spooky we've been listening to a corpse the whole time anyways i think that that's as much as we have time for for this episode of wikipedia um thank you for joining me into this deep dive into wikipedia film pages um i hope that you got as spooked as i did because i had a, a as good of a time as i could um please help them get me out of here i really miss not doing this podcast there's a reason I don't post it in the real world. Please help. Ecclesiastes 1-9. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Wait, what does that even mean? It means Hollywood will reboot anything. But what if... We did it first. I love it. I'm Tanner. I'm Lindsay. And together we host Not If I Reboot You First. It's a podcast where we take popular properties and redo them before Hollywood has a chance to get their corporate paws all over them. We got you covered for all sorts of situations. Reboots, remakes, sequels, spin-offs, adaptations, you name it. Break them apart, grab the good bits, and make them better. Our way. Not If I Reboot You First with new episodes every Sunday. Available on Podbean and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F pod. Goodbye.